0: Well, good morning, Grace Bible Fellowship, I have to tell you, it's, even as I stand here in this pulpit, I recognize these are huge shoes to fill, literally and figuratively. Um, Grace Bible Fellowship, listen, it is just so good, it's so very good for myself and my family, Gary Gabe, and Atticus, to be with you this morning. This is so good. And I want you to know something as we begin. You need to know this. Uh, I know that I'm from Ontario. I know that I'm from a long ways away. But I want you all to know something this morning. We, you and I, have something in common. It's true. We do. We are pastored by the same man, Pastor Mike. Yeah, you are not the only one that he gives counsel to. You're not the only one that he guides. You're not the only one he checks on. You're actually not the only one that maybe you call at Tuesday at 3.30 and you have the hotline and have something. I do that too. Mike is my pastor. We visit regularly, and I find I bring, is it true, Mike, all manner of dilemmas to Pastor Mike. I do that. I bring a whole host of dilemmas for him to untangle. And of course, Grace Bible Fellowship, you know this, Pastor Mike can handle all of them. He can handle all of them. Ministry, practical, theological, this brother can handle all of them. And I say that only by way of introduction to remind you something, brothers and sisters, that you already know. He is not only a man of God, but he's your man of God, gifted, trained, and equipped to lead you for a time such as this here in La Crete. God has brought him here, and you are blessed beyond measure to have Pastor Mike as your shepherd. Of course, you know that, but more, you also know that, and I think you've seen this over the past year, year and a bit, he has the heart of a shepherd He's got a generous heart, an honest heart, and a heart that strives to protect each one of you. I'm privileged to hear, as Mike said, we talk every other week, we connect, and I'm privileged to hear about you, how he cares for you and how he wants to protect you. It's just amazing. And again, I want to remind you of this this morning, but you know that, that you're blessed with him. And not only him, of course, and I do need to mention this because I'm here standing for all of my family. You're blessed with Mike and his precious family, Jody Reese, Joel, and Ivan. What a precious, precious family. We love them so much. They're the real deal. Is that not true? They are the real deal. You don't get families like the Hovlands today. In fact, they're very much Hovlands, you know this, an anchor for our family. Uh, this is, some would say, you came all the way out from Ontario, all the way out from uh, Toronto. No, it's it's a very small trip to be with this family and to be with you. We would gladly do it again because the Hovlands are sure and fixed friends. We've leaned on much through the years. It's true, the Lord knit us together in seminary and especially in recent months. And of course... I just need to get this out of the way. Recent months, past year, it's talked about enough already, and I'm not here to talk about what's been going on over the past year or so. Of course, it has been said, so we won't go there. But we do need to talk about, by way of introduction, a reminder, whether it's with the Hovlands or a reminder, as we've just sang, our need for stability. We have a need for certainty we have a need for an anchor all the more in these times. And for some of us, it may not be the pandemic causing anxiety. However, listen, and I believe you would agree, life is filled with things for us to fret and worry about. Is that not true? Life is filled with fret. It's filled with worry. Anxiety has many, many triggers. In fact, maybe recently you've been surprised at just another trigger for anxiety. There's many. Maybe today, this morning, you're troubled with anxious preoccupations. Maybe you came into the building this morning feeling tossed. Feeling tossed. Maybe this week you're engaged with a significant battle with anxiety. Maybe this year... And of course, last year and in recent years, you have that, you know this house guest, the foreboding house guest that won't go away, won't go away. It's that house guest that's lurking in your thoughts, it's robbing your quiet moments, it grips your throat, it clasps your stomach. And to top it all off, maybe for some of you, no one really knows that you are entertaining that house guest. Uh, that you're feeling what you're feeling. You're looking maybe to go toe-to-toe with anxiety on your own. Your game plan, your attack is you. I'm going to beat this. Every day, have you been there? You wake up and you say, how am I going to tackle anxiety today? Every day you wake up and you think, how am I going to think rightly today? Well, brothers and sisters, I suspect I hardly need to tell you that it's a losing battle. And here, I, I want to tell you this again by way of a final introduction this morning. I don't stand here as one that just has some words for you to share, that this is really good, and I heard it once. I stand here as a living testimony. I have battled with anxiety. Continue to recognize that house guest. I know what it's like. I've gone through a very dark season of tremendous anxiety. So I stand here, not just as one giving you words, but in one sense, and this is the first one, as a living testimony to one who goes through anxiety. And I also want to tell you, I've had that game plan. I'm going to battle this on my own. And listen to me, I have lost miserably. Miserably. So again, I stand here to testify to that but not only to my own failed efforts, but more today, I stand here as a herald of the only solution. The only solution. And under Pastor Mike, you're all very aware where we turn for the only solution. And I want you to grab it right now. The Word of God. I want you to take it and open to Psalm 55 with me. The only solution in your hand you're going to open up to a psalm, Psalm 55, that you'll see immediately written by King David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And David wrote this psalm in a time of trouble, a time when his son Absalom, David's son, had risen up against him and conspired against him. That's his own son from his own house. This is a time when his most trusted counselor, Ahithophel, Subsequently, had betrayed him, turned on him. So this is, listen, family and friend causing the burden for David. Second Samuel 15 and 16 describe this time of trouble. This is David's world closing in on him. Bitter betrayal by those closest to him. Described here, look at verse 12 with me as we get familiar with this psalm. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house we walked in the throng. That is not just betrayal. Look at it again. That is upheaval. The once familiar for David, family and friend, now to be feared. David's life has been turned upside down. David's life is filled now with uncertainty. Now, how how does David feel in light of that trouble? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you would say to me, I know what it's like to face burden from my family and burden from my friends. Maybe you would say, I know what it's like to have anxieties about those domains in life. Well, how does David feel about that? And maybe before we read this text, you'd say, well, that's King David, one of the most godly. Let's read in verse 1. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a mascal of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me and I say... Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. Selah. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. You look at that text, at least the opening verses. Look again at verse two. David says he is restless. Look at verse three. He says he is troubled. Look at verse four. He says he's in anguish. This is King David. More pointedly, David says he is afraid and trembling. And look at the the words he used to describe with horror overwhelming him. Verse five. David looks at his surroundings in complete upheaval and is filled with worry. And I ask you, brothers and sisters, this morning, do you relate to that today? Do you relate to the text we just read today? Do you as well look around and in your life right now are the walls closing in? Do you have moments, brothers and sisters, where you feel overwhelmed? Are you restless today in your complaint? Are you ceaseless in your moaning? Is your heart gripped with anguish? Have fear and trembling come upon you today? Brothers and sisters, I am quite certain that you know worry. You relate to King David's words here, to his burden. You understand the weight, the weight of cares and burdens. And I can say that with certainty because of this psalm, and especially look at verse 22. That is actually the verse that we're going to zero in on today with our time this morning. This verse, a response near the end of this psalm. It's a response, and we're going to see that in a moment. It's a response, and you think about the context of all the trouble and all the worry that is in this. Let's look at this, verse 22. It says this, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous." to be moved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful psalm of Scripture in this verse. Illuminate our eyes, open our hearts to see, let us receive this text and let us live it out all to your glory, we pray. In Christ's precious name, amen. Here, beloved, in this one verse, we see a very necessary and timely response to worry. And we're just simply going to walk through this verse, four considerations. That's what we'll see here this morning. Four considerations for you, for us, when anxiety starts to loom large. Very simply this morning. Let's begin with the first. The first consideration is this, the common reality. The common reality. Look at the opening words of verse 22. They say this, look at it. Cast your burden. This is where we don't want to read the Word of God too fast at times because we miss the obvious. This is noteworthy because of what it does not say. It does not say, if you have burden cast. It does not say to those burdened, to those particular people, those worry warts, them, to them cast. It doesn't say in case of burden cast. No, it doesn't say any of that. Look at it again. It says what? It says plainly, Cast your burden. So this assumes the reality of burden for everyone. It assumes that you have burden. Hence, it is rooted in that common reality of burden for everyone. That word burden, look at it, translated as cares, if you have the NIV, means troubles. It means concerns. That word means, like burdens, the things that weigh you down. If you think about that, what's oppressive, what's weighing you down, that's what that word means. It means like cares, things that occupy your thoughts. So maybe the oppression and the weighing down starts in your mind and works through your body. That word means worry. And its place here in this verse stated simply tells us that everyone has them. That's right, everyone has worry. Everyone has burdens that weigh on them. Now, for some of you, that's a relief in itself to hear. You feel vindicated because the Word of God confirms it, but for others, that may be a big offense this morning to hear that you have burdens. Some of you feel you were made to worry. Others feel worrying is for the weak. Yet this verse here, look at it plainly in Psalm 55.22, is the great equalizer. It says, all of us worry. It assumes the common reality of burden. It implies that all of us have cares. Cares are true for the godly like Hannah. Think with me of Hannah in First 1 Samuel 1.16. The text says that she was anxious for a child. And she brought her anxiety to the Lord. She was anxious. Cares were also reality for the Apostle Paul. I want you to consider the life and writing of the Apostle Paul. Maybe you think like King David. Here is a godly one, and indeed he was that. He's the apostle that wrote of peace, God's peace, the peace of God, think Philippians 4. But he also wrote something else. I want you to keep your finger in Psalm 55 and turn to 2 Corinthians 11. We'll be there a couple of times this morning, 2 Corinthians 11. This, we arrive at a portion in the second letter to the Corinthians where Paul is defending his apostleship. These false apostles, these attacks have come in against Paul, and he's in an extended account defending his apostleship. We're just going to pick up the account here in verse 21. So instructive. Listen to what Paul says. He says, But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrew? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. He's giving you, in one sense, the credentials here of who he is. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. Now, before we get carried away, Paul then takes us to this. Keep reading. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. And we can continue reading for the next few verses. The Apostle Paul knew trouble. He knew trouble. But then look at this as we zone in on verse 28. And apart from other things, so in other words, he gives us a laundry list of the things that he's experienced. And by the way, this is halfway through his ministry. He says this apart from other things that I could mention. There is this, and look at this, the daily pressure on me of my what? Anxiety for all the churches. There it is. Of all the things Paul could be anxious about, he says, I'm anxious for the churches. Paul has a burden articulated by Paul here. The daily pressure, he calls it anxiety, and it's just plainly stated here, he faced trial, he planted churches, and he had to leave, and now he's dealing with a burden and an anxiety for those churches. Paul had anxiety. He had burden. And by the way, we're going to get to what he was anxious about later, so we'll leave that for a moment. But Paul here is telling us that he deals with burden. You know, it could be things like what if the what ifs about the congregation. What if they don't obey the Word of God? What if false teachers come in and so on? Paul's letters, in fact, when you think about those what-ifs, reveal the myriad of anxieties that he had for the churches. Again, we need to say this as we think about all the things Paul was anxious for. We're going to come back to that later. But we do want to at least acknowledge of all the things in this passage that we just read that he could be anxious for. It's not about physical circumstances. It's about the people of God. Now... If it's true for Paul that he dealt with burden and anxiety, just in a general sense, beloved, listen, if it's true for Paul, it's true for King David, how much more for us? How much more for us, Christians? We all have burden. We all have worry. Turn back to Psalm 55. And this psalm tells us so very plainly. Worry is a common reality. So that's one piece of this verse that we want to grab. Worry is a common reality. And it's important for us to understand that as we look at the rest of the verse. Secondly, the common or first is the common reality. Second is the commanded response. Look again at the beginning of verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. It doesn't just imply that you have burden, does it? This is what we need to grab. So obviously, it doesn't, doesn't just say you have burden and that's it. No, it says your burden. Look, take your burden, take your anxiety, and you do something with it. Do you see that? You do something with it. And what is that? It says, cast them on the Lord. In other words, and this again is so plain, but sometimes we need amplification for this. It's so plain, it's so true, but we need to be reminded of this truth. Burdens are not meant for us to bear. We're not meant to buck up under burdens alone. We're not designed to do that. Church, God is the God. God is your God. God is the one who bears burdens. Do you see that? That is why he sent his son into the world to bear the burden of his people. And what's that? Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus goes on to say, "Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, and then what? And my burden is light." Come to Me, which, by the way, is a command from Christ. Come to Him. Why? To cast your burden on Him. There in context in Matthew 11, for salvation. The worry and concern which all humanity should have, given what sin deserves. The burden of sin, the concern of the penalty of sin, under the anxiety that we deserve eternal death for our disobedience and rebellion to God. And if you're under that burden this morning, if you're under that burden, the anxiety of the second death, the anxiety of hell, I urge you to cast that burden on Jesus because you cannot bear that. You cannot. Only Christ can bear that. I, in fact, compel you in light of Matthew 11 when you think about the burden that we all share from the womb, the punishment, the anxiety of eternal death, such a text encourages you to turn from your sin and embrace the burden-bearer, Jesus Christ, who will take that punishment. Yet salvation is not the only burden-bearing that God does, so we recognize that in the Gospels, and of course you'll be there in a few months under Pastor Mike. But let's get a refresher on where you have been, Brothers and sisters, I recognize you were here just two months ago, but I think we need to be reminded of Matthew 6. Turn there. Of course, Pastor Mike has just taken you through the Sermon on the Mount, which is, in, uh, in fact, the teaching about living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Matthew 6, right in the middle of this passage on the Sermon on the Mount that you've just finished, Jesus says throughout this, There's not just the burden of salvation, but there's the daily cares of life. Look at verse 25. Again, you've read this and you remember this text. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Remember, as Mike taught us, we're not to be anxious because you have life. You have life. More, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. And then this, are you not of more value than they? Remember, He walked us through not to be anxious because you're more valuable than birds. That's what Jesus is saying. That's His argument. More, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Verse 29. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow sown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Remember, we learn not to be anxious because we endure longer than grass. Do you remember that? We endure longer than grass. And verse 31, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Remember, we're not to be anxious. Why, beloved? Because we're not pagans. We're children of God. Not to be anxious is Jesus working through these wonderful arguments about why we are not to be anxious. After all that, about what not to be anxious about, and then this in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Christian, casting your burden on God is your daily command from your Savior. Jesus taught it, and so did his disciples. Consider with me 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxieties on him. From Peter to Paul, Philippians 4, 6, we've already referenced. Do not be anxious about anything. Instead, what? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Church, give your worry to God. Cry out to Him. And when you're done, cry out again. And again, and again. There are no qualifications on these passages for certain times or certain conditions or weak people or strong people. No, this is what we're all to do. In fact, in Philippians 4, the verse says, in everything, in everything. That means, Christian, this is your pattern of life. The regular ongoing petition is not only called for, but necessary for you. If we could talk physically for a moment, I can testify to this. Built-up anxiety in your body is like a toxin in the bloodstream. Did you know that? Built-up anxiety may feel like a very intangible thing, May feel like just butterflies in the stomach or a visor on your throat, but it's like a build, building up of toxins in your body. Charles Mayo, who along with his brother founded the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, said this, I quote, worry adversely affects the circulatory system, heart, glands, and nervous system. Mayo goes on to say this, I never knew anyone who died from overwork. But I know many who died of worry. End quote. Interestingly, the Mayo brothers only confirm what the Word of God told us years and years and years ago. Proverbs twelve twenty five: Anxiety in a man's heart what weighs him down? Christian, maybe you're feeling weighed down today with burden, with fear and anxiety. And you need to know God does not want you to be. He says, give me your worry. Our Savior says, cast your burden on me. That is the commanded response. So look at another in this verse. The continuing result. Look again, verse 22. So we cast our burden on the Lord, and what is the result of that? Verse 22, as we keep reading, He will sustain you. Again, we first note, we must note what it does not say. This is so helpful, I pray. What does it not say? It does not say, cast your burden on the Lord and your burden will go away. Doesn't say that. It doesn't say cast your burden on the Lord and your circumstances will get better. It doesn't say that. No, again, there's nothing like that in the text. That is what we wanted to say. Brothers and sisters, is that not true? That's what you wanted to say. Oh, that's what I would want to be true. But it doesn't say that. In fact, I wonder how much added burden is because of misunderstanding here. How many cast their burden on the Lord and do so expecting a certain result from the Lord? How many think burden bearing is burden removing? But church, look closely at this text. That's not what this verse is saying. It's not what our Lord is saying. God's word here says, cast your burden on the Lord and what? He will sustain you. He will sustain you. Again, that doesn't mean He'll remove it from you, but here it is. He'll enable you to remain in it. You see that? He is going to enable you to remain under and in it. He will sustain you means circumstances may and will remain. Burden is still there, but instead of bearing it on your own and failing at that, instead of that, God's Word says here, He will hold you up. He will hold you fast. He will sustain you. The Hebrew word there behind sustain, if you look at it, means to contain, to clasp, to hold in It refers to, and this is really the picture, being held very tightly and close, right where you're at, not moving, not elsewhere. And I wonder, beloved, how often our anxiety is simply due to a fact that we're not receiving what we thought we should. I wonder. I wonder how often our anxiety is because of unmet expectations, about our circumstances, about what we think should be ordained for our lives. And we want the burden to go away, to be removed. And and you know, sadly, many errant teachers, many false churches profess just that, like God is some genie in a bottle. Do this, press that, rub that, and presto, it's gone. That's not the way our Lord works at all. And you know what makes that worse is that we live in a culture that teaches that, that tells you it should be that way. We live in a society that says you can have anything you want, anything. Just do it. Even worse, we are swimming in that, breathing that oxygen, and then we compound our anxiety when we go to the Lord with extra anxiety, because our prayers aren't being answered the way we think, or our circumstances haven't changed the way we think they should. And you see how we can get ourselves so often into a whole mess of problems, adding anxiety upon burden, upon worry, upon fret. And somewhere downstream, sure, we would say we're praying. Often we're praying vigorously. But really, we're requesting. Really, we're demanding. You know, our Lord, I recognize that you've ordained this, but I really would love you to do that. And I'm not quite sure why you did this, and here are my plans for the way that it should be. Now look, I'm not saying that we cannot plead with God for difficult circumstances. Don't mishear me this morning. But I think you see how we can misstep. Listen, even the most godly asked about not so comfortable, not so optimal circumstances. If your finger's still in there in 2 Corinthians, go back there for a moment. The Apostle Paul did this. In the very next chapter from the one we read in chapter 11, the Apostle Paul famously recounts a pleading with the Lord. Paul, remember, has a burden for the churches, but that's not the only burden that Paul has. And you might say, as you turn to chapter 12, well, is he finally going to go to the Lord about those shipwrecks and the beatings? Well, let's just pick this up now as Paul goes to the Lord three times with a burden. In verse 8, chapter 12, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, this burden, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Brothers and sisters, don't miss that. Look at it. Paul cast his burden on the Lord, and the Lord did what? The Lord said, well, Paul, all he had to do was ask, and I'm just going to make that thing go away. No, he didn't say that, right? He said nothing of the sort. Look, three times he asked, The Lord didn't remove the thorn. He didn't make it go away. No, instead, God sustained him. Do you see that? God sustained him. God said, look at verse 9. In fact, my grace is sufficient for you. That, beloved, is the continuing result. The grace of God that enables you to bear up under any trial over and over again. This is the Apostle Paul. Like King David we've seen, God's grace sustains. Three times asked, three times given. And you know what? If Paul asked again, I think we all know what the response would be. God's grace would still sustain. And Beloved, can I say this this morning? God's grace doesn't have an expiration date. God's grace is not something on the shelf that you dust off. Well, I've used all that up. One of the most amazing things about our God is that He is infinite in grace. Knows no limits. Knows no measure. His grace is infinite. Always there. Ask three times. Ask seven times. Ask 70 times. Ask infinitely. And His grace will sustain you. The Lord will sustain you. That means, church, as the Lord said to Paul, you will receive Not what you want, but what you need. You see that? You will receive what you need in the economy of our Lord, and that is His sustaining grace, and that's all we need. At salvation and at sanctification. His sustaining grace. This is the sufficiency of life in Christ. You always have precisely what you need, beloved. Listen, not for the whole burden, the whole crisis, the whole season, like right now. We want it all laid out, don't we? We're like, okay, well, show me what this looks like down every artery and every path. I need to see the whole thing. Lord, I need a blueprint. I need a plan. I need a roadmap. I think I can grab onto your grace if, have you done that? If you show me how this all ends. Then I can grab onto your grace. That's not the way it works. By the way, if that is you, and it's been me, if you want to know how it all ends and you're slapping passive conditions on your request to God, I urge you now to repent of that. Repent of bringing your own agenda to the Lord, your own timeline. Repent and say, Lord, your grace is enough, and I don't need to see anything beyond this moment. Repent and turn to His peace and His sovereign plan. He's omniscient and omnipotent for all things. And He is sufficient. God's sufficiency, as we saw in Matthew 6, His sufficiency, His grace, and His grace alone is what will get you through today, this moment. God's sustaining hand deals only with the present moment by moment. Beloved, that's the continuing result. Every time he will sustain you. I'm back to Psalm fifty-five for one more. The confident rest, the confident rest. This is where the psalm ends. Psalm fifty-five twenty-two ends with this promise: He will never permit the righteous to be moved. You know, the original. He can't really say that more emphatically than that. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Stability, certainty assurance. Those are all things, you know this, that are so elusive or seem so elusive to the worried. In fact, it is not surprising that the most commonly associated physical trait with the warrior, with the anxious, is what? Restlessness. Restlessness. The legs tapping, the feet pacing, the thoughts out of control. That's your picture, right? The anxious just cannot settle down. That's the picture. The anxious cannot settle down at all. And that may be the classic picture of the worried, but it is not the picture in the Bible. God says of His own, by the way, of His own are often called what? The righteous, speaking to our position in Christ. His righteousness, not ours. God says, of mine own, of the righteous, I will never permit them to be moved. That means they will not be shaken, the NASB says. They will never be shaken. This verse means, as God's child, you have a promise. Brothers and sisters, don't miss this. This is your promise this morning. And I want you to look at those words, He will never. Again, in the original, we cannot even say that emphatically enough the expression behind those three words means permanently never. Permanent negation. Never, ever, ever will you be moved. In other words, under divine inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God is saying this, listen, I will never, ever under any condition or for any reason ever let my child be moved. Is that encouraging this morning? You will never be moved in His arms. And that's a promise. In fact, I would say for many of us, I've been there. That's rest. Rest for the restless. And it's confidence and more. It's confident rest. Now listen. I know what you're thinking. And I've been there. It doesn't mean you don't feel like you're moving. Do you know what I'm talking about? You feel like you're moving all over the place. You would say, sure, sure. Pastor, I see that, and sure, that's objectively true, and sure, the text says that, but you don't know what I'm going through. I feel like I'm moving all over the place. I understand. Believe me, I understand. And this reminds us of the oft-fallen trap that we fall into between, here it is, feelings and truth. You know what I'm talking about. Feelings and truth. There's a huge chasm between what we feel often and what is true. My boys are old enough now to share memories with them. And I remember taking them to swimming lessons when they were younger. Of course, they have different affections about the water these days, but I remember that first swimming lesson for one of them. I had my son in my arms, and it's one of these pools where you kind of walk into a ramp, right? And you're walking down into it. Well, my son is in my arms, and he probably doesn't want me to share this, but I will. He was terrified of the water. This is his first time going into the water. And he is screaming because he just sees a vast ocean of water and it's unnatural. He smells these chemicals, which are chlorine. That's unnatural. He sees a whole bunch of people. He hears echoes. He feels tossed and turned and he might have said to you, if he could, what in the world is going on in my world? And what would I have said to him? Son, I have you in my arms. You're not going anywhere. Do you see that? And what kind of father would I be? I'd just drop him in the pool. and say, Well, you know, I was kidding. No. There's nothing that is going to make me let go of my son. Right? He'd say, but I'm tossed and turned and everything is topsy-turvy. I'd say, no, son, I will not let you go. Now listen, I'm wretched and I'm fallen. If I have a vice grip on my son, how much more the Lord on you? How much more? You say, I feel tossed and turned and you don't understand, and I don't. But He does and He has you and He will never, ever let you go. Don't let feelings drive the bus. It never ends well. The objective truth that you're in His arms And He will never, ever let you go. He will never let the righteous fall. Praise God. And the reality is, like my son perceived, is that often we can be fooled by circumstance. But not us. Listen to Psalm 46. And listen to the conditions there. Far from a swimming pool or a pandemic... Or anything else the life would assault us with. Listen to the language here. You talk about being tossed. This is the language. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though. Here are the circumstances that toss. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, in the midst of all that trouble, then this, Psalm 46.10, I think you know this. Be still. And know that I am the Lord. I am God. Certainty in the storm, peace. That's the confident rest you have with the Almighty. Christian, that's the truth contained in just this one verse of scripture. And I understand this morning that peace is hard, even in the best of times. Is that not true? Even in the best of times, peace can seem so hard. One could suggest this kind of peace almost feels unattainable these days. Well, Christian, it is not. It is not. Peace is offered and very accessible and quite certain with God. That said, we're faced with a response as we close now. How do we live in that peace? Maybe you've been listening to this message and say, that all sounds great, but how? How do do we apply these truths? Maybe truths you've been taught your whole life. How do we apply this peace? Well, I just want to leave you with this, some very practical applications, and then we'll close. Four of them. Some running starts, if you will, to maybe the rest of your day, the rest of your week, when you encounter fret, worry, and anxiety. Just four things. Simple, straightforward, I pray. Number one, prioritize praise. Prioritize praise. In times of crisis, is this not true? When a crisis comes, we have a petition default. Do You know what I mean? When crisis comes, when the milk spills, when the world falls apart, it's just all petition. 24-7 petition to our Lord. And it's all pleading. And of course, beloved, don't mishear me. That's not wrong. It's not necessarily wrong. We do bring our requests to the Lord. However, it is a problem if our petitions are at the expense of praise. It is a problem if our petitions are at the expense of praise. 1 Thessalonians 5, the very next chapter you'll be looking at, Lord's Day, and that account where it seems like just quick hits to the Christian, right, about what they are to do. 1 Thessalonians 5, or 16 says, Before praying without ceasing, which we do, we're told this, Rejoice always. That's the overall manner of our life, that we rejoice. In other words, that we prioritize praise Our life, our petitions are woven with praise. They must be, the Word of God says. A mind that is thankful and always reminding itself of why it is thankful. Christian has little time, not no time, but little time, diminishing time for fret and worry. That thankful mind really more and more as you train and discipline yourself to just praise God and let that be the preeminent call to God it really runs out of time to worry. Seminary, Mike would tell you too, John MacArthur used to tell us, if you can believe this, I think we all kind of struggle with this is even true, John MacArthur would say he never prayed for himself. John MacArthur doesn't pray for himself. He's like, I, I have enough people to worry about, let alone myself. Just an amazing thing. I always thought, wow. I think Mike would say the same. I pray that's true for me. My flock in Ontario, and I certainly know, I see it in measure with this man for you, his worry and concern for you, like the Apostle Paul. One, prioritize praise. Two, consider God's present care. Christian, we could call this considering the trees through the forest. Remember, again Matthew 6, remember, consider your life. You take thousands of breaths and steps each day. How do you do that? You eat food, you have clothes, you sleep under a roof. I ask you, how is that? How is that for such helpless creatures like us? How are we so able to have sustenance? My friend, you've lived through, and I don't know all of you personally, looking forward to meet some of you more in-depthly, but I'm sure you've all had near misses. Some of you have those moments where you're like, I don't know how I lived through that. Many of you would say I don't know how I got to today and many of you have managed risk listen you're still alive you're alive and well and I want you to stop right now when you think about living with anxiety I just want you to smell the roses in a microsecond just smell the roses of your life and sure we don't you fight it right now we want to go to all the things that aren't going well and we need to fight that to go to all the things that are really, really good. I have to say this again. We are a full-fledged Ontario family. My wife and I were born in Toronto, Ontario. And I, I don't know how we're going to leave this place. I honestly don't know how we're going to leave it. I mean, you, LaCrete, can I tell you something? You are blessed here. It's not the madness of the rest of the world. And even, I'm telling Mike this often, what you have up here in northern Alberta is like an oasis to, hear me, The rest of the world. Now, I'm not saying it's going to make all your anxieties go away. We're driving through town. My son's like, this is amazing. Going into this place or seeing this or walking through a park. The fellowship, you are blessed. I just want to present the roses to you that maybe you you don't see. Lucrete, you're blessed beyond measure. I know your lives have things. We all do. But I'm just here to remind you how blessed you are in this parcel of real estate in northern alberta you are blessed absolutely blessed consider god's present care three live in today psalm one eighteen twenty four 24 says this this is the day that the lord has made let us rejoice and be glad in it that points to today not tomorrow the word of god never says tomorrow rejoice for what tomorrow will bring the word of god says rejoice in today That means we live in today, not tomorrow. That means we don't wonder about tomorrow. We experience today, have you been there? I've been there. I waste all of today worrying about tomorrow. That's a shame. Don't do that. It means we don't cripple ourselves with this. A day filled with, what about tomorrow? One of the millions of reasons why I love our pastor, Pastor Mike, I'll get on a Zoom call, and I'm a hyper-organizer plan. I'm like, well, yeah, and this is the book I'm doing next, and what about the fall? And I say to Michael, well, what are you doing next week? What are you doing in the fall? And he kind of laughs at me and says, Jason, i got to get through today. That's your pastor. i got to get through today. Biblical sound, solid. i got to get through today. Listen, and it's a great reminder when I talk to Mike, let us not sacrifice today on the altar of tomorrow. You know, it's been said so often of anxiety, The days are gone before you know it. They're gone. And we wasted them fretting about tomorrow. How many days have we been robbed of wondering about the future? Matthew 6, that passage again that Mike has taken us through, where Jesus teaches us about our worries. It ends with this, verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow, listen to this, will be anxious for itself. You see that? Jesus says it'll have its own burden and its own worry. Sufficient for the day. Today is its own trouble. And that is so true. That means today has its own burdens. And you only want to deal with today. I heard it said by a good teacher. Today has its own troubles. Worrying about tomorrow is double trouble. You see the logic in that? You worry about tomorrow. Then you're fretting about today and tomorrow and you're fretting about the whole thing. And then you've lost the present. Finally, for change your focus. Beloved, unhealthy anxiety at its root is this. And I can't speak with more conviction about anxiety with this. And I I pray it resonates with even just one of you. Anxiety is self-focus. Anxiety at its heart is a hyperactive camera lens on yourself. That's what anxiety really is at its core. Anxiety is it's all about me. And it's so true today. Listen, we live in a world, everything orbits around us. You have social media, you have advertising, you have everything that wants to parade self. And is it any wonder we have a widespread anxiety problem? We're being taught, our kids, the next generation, are being taught to focus on themselves. It's all about you. And it's no wonder we struggle with anxiety. We're so self-focused That I submit to you, we can't see anything else beyond ourselves. Ourselves are just in the way of everything. And the more we're focused on self, the more, this is what happens, we obsess about ourselves. Am I going to be okay? What if I look bad? What will I do tomorrow? What if I don't measure up? What if I haven't arrived there? What is so-and-so going to think of me? I. Me and I. And on it goes. How much of your worry is centered on you? That is a convicting little diagnostic test, by the way. Think about all the things you're fretting about and what is the orbit of that fret. Listen, constant self-focus is not good for you or anyone. In fact, it only amplifies quickly and out of control. Have you ever wondered why in anxiety everything is life-threatening with anxiety? You know what I'm talking about? Everything, if it doesn't already, becomes a life-threatening thing with anxiety because we're amplified on ourselves. No, church, you don't focus on yourself. You focus where? You focus where, remember, what we've been taught. You look to the higher. You look to the higher. Colossians 3. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Why? The apostle goes on, verse 3. For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Do you see that? Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Brothers and sisters, can we leave today changing our focus? Changing our focus. Not because it sounds like something that good Christians should do, not because it's worth a try. I've tried everything else, and this is worth a try. And not even because I'm telling you to, or I'm testifying to it. No, let us heed the word of God and seek the things that are above where Christ is. Because we're commanded to. And even more, we change our focus and we focus on Christ, because listen, that's actually where your life is. When you focus on temporal things, so much of our problem is that's not where our life is. We focus on where our life is as a Christian, and it's in Christ. Listen again to verse 3. For you, beloved, you, Christian, have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So you change your focus so that it is appropriate to your new identity and your right circumstance. Focus on Christ. Your life is hidden in Him. Christ is your identity, and brothers and sisters, Christ is your peace. Look to him. Christ is your life, and again, there are no conditions there. And so it is for us. Christ is our life, and hence he is our focus. That is how we cast our burden on the Lord. That is how we are sustained, and that is how we are never moved. Only in Christ. Father, we rejoice in this great truth of our life in Christ. We rejoice in the reality that we are never moved in you. And God, forgive us when we are filled with so much fret and worry about present circumstance. Forgive us when we turn to ourselves in such focus, Lord, and and fail to lose sight of the things above. Oh God, help us this day, we pray, as we look to you in all things. In the name of Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen.